Here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Down to verse 50 now. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perfect inherit the im sorry, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we all will be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be, will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. It's great that uh, Rick and Margaret are celebrating 50 years on Saturday. Just when they said that, I remembered that it's my wedding anniversary this coming week, and I was trying to think, how do I celebrate it with a wife who's in, in isolation in, in Brisbane? And uh, I guess it'll be via Zoom or something like that. Uh, but there you go. It's It's... Strange sort of times we're in, aren't they? And lives are always a bit strange. Um, I came out this morning and jumped into my car to come down here and uh, turn the key, dead as a dodo. Yeah? Nothing from the battery at all. And I thought, well, thank goodness Sue's away. I can use her car, you see. No, I didn't think that at all. But I did use her car. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure what your week's been like. We've heard from some people already. Uh, and we do just hit days like today, all of us carrying you know, background of a series of weeks or months or uh, days. For some of us, it's all extremely positive. For others of us, uh, there are struggles and challenges. Uh, but wonderfully, God speaks into our lives uh, by his word in a powerful way and gives us that, you know, that take on reality, which is just so helpful to have, isn't it, uh, as we, we come before him this morning. Why don't I pray and we'll, uh, we'll dig into God's word together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who does speak to us and we pray that in your kindness you'll speak to us today, uh, not just about the topic of work or how we serve you in your world, uh, but that you might frame our lives in a way that gives us a sense of confidence in you, a settledness when it comes to your promises, uh, the knowledge that you love and care for us in a way that we can never comprehend and uh, just that sense of clarity on what you call us to live for in this world. Father, we pray 
these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, I'd just taken a funeral, and I was catching up with the family afterwards. We're off in the sort of hall next to the church. And uh, as I was mingling, I noticed there was this bloke. He was in his late 20s, obviously a family member or friend who was sitting over by himself. And so when I went across to say hello, I almost didn't need to introduce myself. He had a fair idea who I was, but I didn't know him. And uh, we got chatting, and uh, he knew what my job was. I asked him what his job was. He said he was doing a PhD as a research scientist in an area related to cancer research. Uh, and I said to him, you, that must be incredibly rewarding to be working in that sort of area. And he gave me this sort of wry look, and he said, you'd think so, wouldn't you? And then he went on, and he, he said, you know, like... The thing is, I'm working in an area to try and prolong life, and I think that's valuable. Uh, but in a, you know, another laboratory somewhere else, I've got scientists saying that our world can only you know, sensibly hold 3 billion people, and we're already over 7 billion people. So I figure in some ways what I'm doing is actually adding to the problem. You know? And <laughs> I thought, well, oh, there you go. It made me think a few things. Like The first was I need to be much more careful with my throwaway comments in social situations, you know, uh, because it, you never know what they'll trigger. But, you know, if you, get a, if you get that window into what that guy was saying, if you can identify uh, with what he's getting at at that point, then you actually get a perspective on what the Bible says when it comes to work and the struggles that we have with work, an insight into the limitations of work in our world. There's a we've seen it already. There's a futility when it comes to work. It's almost inbuilt. The Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes captures it brilliantly right at the beginning, really with the opening question in Ecclesiastes one, uh, verses two and three. The writer says, "Vanity of vanities," says the preacher. What do people gain for all from all their toils at which they toil under the sun? It's the question he starts his book off with. And then he goes on and he explores all the options, uh, the different possibilities for how you could make sense of life by what you do with your hands. But at the end of the day, his conclusions, pretty well the same as the guy I met at the funeral. In chapter 2, verse 11, this is what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. Then I considered all my hands had done, all the toil that I'd expended doing it, and behold, it was all vanity and a striving after wind. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? That idea of trying to grab onto wind. And that's the vanity that he speaks of. Uh, all of us have probably heard uh, people say this. You know, no one on their deathbed says, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Apparently that's not true. Uh, I read an article in the Sydney Morning Herald, March 2019. It, people were interviewed who were working more than 40 hours a week to gauge their attitude towards working those extended hours. And of those who were working more than 40 hours a week, only one quarter of them regretted that time that they had to invest in their work. And they interviewed a, a psychologist who was experienced in these sort of things, and they said, no, it doesn't surprise me at all. He said, because people uh, 
they get a sense of their well-being and value from the investment they make in their work. So it makes sense, doesn't it, that if you're getting sort of rewarded in your sense of esteem from your work, that you'd spend more hours putting into your work so you get that sense of value back out of it. And I thought, yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? The last couple of weeks, what we've done is looked at what the Bible says about work in God's world. And it does. It has a significant place, just as we heard in the, the children's talk. It's a way in which we provide for our needs uh, and to be generous towards other people. It's great if you can enjoy your work. Uh, that's, that's a bonus, and it's from the hand of God. Although, you know, it's, it's actually not... A great question to ask. I suspect that, for example, someone working in a sweatshop in Bangladesh is probably not constantly thinking, am I enjoying my work? You know, and that's actually most of the world in reality, even if it's not a fairly high percentage of people in our world. It's the reality. I mean, enjoyment from work is good. People don't always have that sort of option. It's great to work and contribute uh, to the well-being of others or to our society. It's good to work faithfully, uh, to win the respect of others around you. But the bottom line is work cannot provide you with an ultimate sense of meaning and purpose. And here's the thing, that our work, it can't reverse the damage that's been done in Genesis chapter 3. We live in a fragile and fallen and broken world. And that means at the end of the day, in Ecclesiastes terms, our, meaning, our work is meaningless or, or a vanity when it comes to answering those big questions about who we are and what life is all about. But here's the thing. There is a work or a labour that isn't in vain. It's not futile. And Rick picked it up for us when we were reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It came up in the kids' talk as well. Let me read again. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We know that our work in this world, it does have a use-by date. Uh, we can't take our asset with us. You know, we know that we can't. Our bank balance won't survive into heaven. But also it's the same when it comes to work. In heaven there won't be any garbage collectors or nurses or factory workers. There won't be any politicians or doctors. No one gets sick. There won't be any insurance agents because there won't be any insurable interests in heaven. No need for that sort of activity. And Jesus will not be concerned about whether you stayed at the entrance level role you got when you joined a company or whether you progressed through the ranks. Most of that in the long term is completely meaningless. But here in 1 Corinthians 15, it's saying that there is a work that isn't in vain. And what that, that means is there is a work that endures forever. So what is this labor for the Lord or labor in the Lord that's not in vain, that endures? It helps us, um, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it helps us to see that 
the wider argument of 1 Corinthians 15 because that gives us a clue as to what's being spoken about. And if you're familiar with this chapter of the Bible, you know it's all about Jesus' resurrection and ours and the way in which our resurrection is tied to his and his activity. It's about the future uh, beyond death. It's about dwelling with God for all eternity. So what is this labor that endures for eternity beyond death? Well, the context of 1 Corinthians 15 and the letter of 1 Corinthians is actually really important. It's like any book. You, um, when you read a book, you should always read words and chapters and, and verses all in the context of wider arguments if you're going to properly understand what they're talking about. Now, I'm going to make you do a bit of work here, but uh, I think you're up for it, just as we explore the nature of what is this phrase, this labour in the Lord, that is not in vain, what does it actually mean? So I want to ask who are the workers that are being referred to here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9, I'll throw these verses up so you can see them. Uh, it says there, we are God's co-workers in God's service. So Paul at this point is writing the letter and he's talking about himself and Apollos in this context. Uh, he and Apollos, they're God's co-workers in God's service. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, uh, the chapter that we've been looking at, uh, he says, I, Paul, Paul the Apostle, worked harder than all of them. And at this point, he's talking about the way in which he's preached and taught the gospel. If we went a chapter further on to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10, uh, Paul talks about his co-worker, Timothy. When Timothy comes... See to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord. Same phrase comes up again, just as I am. So what's the work that these workers are doing? What's the work of the Lord? Well, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul talks about being a co-worker with Apollos in God's service. And then in verses 10 to 13, he goes on and speaks about this work. Each one should build with care, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day, that is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, that day will bring it to light. Now, understand the work that's being spoken of here is very specific. It's building up the body of Christ or the church. It's talking about evangelism and discipleship, introducing people to Jesus and helping them grow as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You move on to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and it's the same idea. Paul's speaking to the Corinthians, and he says to them in verse 1, are you not a result of my work in the Lord? So they're, they're the result of the work that he's been doing. And he's talking about their relationship with God at this point. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, Paul says, I worked harder than all of them. And then in verse 11, he goes on and he says, So we preached and so you believe. Friends, the reality is most of what we work for in this world doesn't last. 
uh, or in the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, it is in, in vain. It won't endure into the age to come. You know, when I get to heaven and I'm standing before the throne, I won't be, you know, God, you know, won't have this filing cabinet full of the files I, I had when I was working as a lawyer and pull one out and say, this is such a well-drawn commercial contract. Excellent work, Paul, right? It'll, it'll actually, it won't endure in that sense. It doesn't have lasting value. I won't be invited to head up the legal department in heaven, right? which would be a bad mistake anyway. But the, the work that's being spoken of here, the work that's not in vain, is telling the gospel to people so they can become Christians and telling the gospel to people so they can grow as Christians. That's the labour in the Lord that lasts. So what I want to do just for a few minutes is talk about how labouring for the Lord intersects with our jobs or careers or with what we do each day, bearing in mind some of us are workers and some of us are. Okay? Uh, I want to just try and unpack some of that in terms of day-to-day thinking. What we've been looking at, it helps us to keep remembering what our main job is. Um, Whether you earn an income, whether you're a student or a stay-at-home parent or you're retired, whatever your situation is, what you must do is make sure you labour for that that lasts, that isn't in vain. And that's quite challenging to actually work out. There's a guy I used to know that uh, attended Trinity in the city, uh, Tom Bednall. He's, he's dead now. He's with the Lord. Uh, but he lived in a retirement village, and he was really he was such a relational guy and really keen. When he was about 90, I remember having a conversation with Tom, asking him what he'd been doing during the week. He said, oh, this was the week where I go around and collect newspaper subscriptions from everybody in the retirement village. It was in the days where people used to read paper newspapers. You may, have, you may remember those days, right? So th- this was the case. They all got these paper newspapers delivered. Once a month, Tom would go around and collect up the subs. Now, he was 90 at this stage, and I said to him, mate, that sounds like a big job. You know, <laughs> what do you do it? He said, oh, he said, it's really good. He said, I get to go around and catch up with all these people in the retirement village and I get to talk to them about how they're going and the fact that I trust in Jesus and I can talk to them about the gospel. Do you understand? He was collecting subs, but he was doing the work of the Lord. Yeah, he was very deliberately trying to think through how he served the Lord Jesus Christ. I do often have conversations with stay-at-home parents regularly looking after children or grandparents who have regular times looking after kids And they can feel like it's such a tiring and unrewarding sort of task, that sort of activity. Can I just say that uh, investing in your children so that they know and love and trust Jesus for all eternity, do you understand what a profound work of the Lord that is? What an extraordinary investment that particular activity is. And how much more important it is than most of what the rest of us do with our day-to-day hands. You know, it is labouring for the Lord for a work that endures for all eternity. When it comes to 
those of us who are in employment or even if you're not, I, I think it's really helpful though if we can keep in mind some of the categories that the Bible uses and not confuse them together. So at this point I'm talking about work, good works and the work of the Lord. Work, good works and the work of the Lord. Because the Bible doesn't use those interchangeably. It actually operates with those in quite separate categories. Let me see if I can uh, illustrate it and then go back and pull it apart a bit more. Um, I want you to imagine there is a Christian brain surgeon who is absolutely brilliant at their job. You know, if you ever have brain problems, this is the person you want to conduct the operation on your brain. Uh, but let's say this Christian brain surgeon has a reputation among colleagues and uh, staff that work uh, for them of having a notoriously bad temper and being uh, just very egocentric all about the task that they are doing with their brain surgery. People that they work with know that they're a Christian, but they think that surgeon is a hypocrite because they're good at their job, but they just treat people like dirt. Now, I understand at this point, they are, in terms of their work, doing a brilliant job of operating on people's brains. Wonderful, okay? When it comes to good works, that is the way they treat the people around them in their process, um, they're rubbish, you understand? And that actually, by presenting that way to others, means the work of the Lord is totally diminished by the way in which they conduct themselves in their relationships with other people. Do you get that, that sort of distinction? That's the way the Bible operates. So let me come back and see if I can pull this apart a bit more for you. I think it's going to be a diagram that I'll throw up on the screen that has three columns that try and capture this sort of idea. I've got them around. Yeah, here it is. Well done. Um, so these categories often get confused. Work, work is the toil that we do. It's, it's what's been described in Ecclesiastes. And it does have value. Right? I'm not saying don't work, but I'm saying recognize it for what it is. Good works, on the other hand, if we went to a place like Ephesians 2 verse 10, it talks about Christians being created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, at this point, it's not so much talking about labor, toil, work. Here the Bible is talking about a godliness, treating the people around you with respect and integrity, not dumping on them. And then there's a separate category, which is the work of the Lord. Now, at this point, it's not talking about godliness of behavior. It's actually talking much more specifically about speaking the gospel into people's lives so they could either understand and believe it or grow in it. Now, let me just drive that home a bit more. You can look this up for yourself afterwards. If we went to a place like Philippians chapter 1, uh, Paul the Apostle in that context is talking about his situation. He's in jail. Some people are very happy. Christians are happy he's in jail. There's sort of a bit of uh, argy-bargy going on here. But he says some are preaching Christ for the wrong motives because they think that it'll cause trouble for Paul while he's in prison. Go and read it for yourself. Uh, but Paul says, what does it matter? He says, so long as they're preaching the gospel, 
and people can believe it and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, understand at that point he's saying they are not uh, operating with integrity, but they are preaching the true gospel and people are believing it. They're doing the work of the Lord, even though they're not doing good works. Now, he's not advocating that. Right? He's not saying, don't scrap the good works and just do the work of the Lord. I'm just u- using that illustration. Go and read Philippians 1, and you'll see the way in which he does operate with that um, separation of understanding of those activities, which I think we need to have clarity about so that we, we really do get the fact that discipleship and evangelism are separate to the good lives we lead. Okay, But can I say they do overlap? Uh, so I'll get to this next diagram and you, you can see how this works. Uh, the three categories operating. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, uh, the apostle is speaking to believers about how to commend the gospel to others. Listen to the way he speaks. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So at this point, he's saying it's good for unbelievers to see your good deeds, your good works. And as you read through this letter of 1 Peter, they're obviously talking about acts of generosity and grace and mercy that are shown to others. But he is very clear that the good deeds and the good lives are not the gospel. But they do build a bridge with people and provide opportunity to to, uh, for them to ask questions or cause them to be prompted to think about why you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Clarity on what we're talking about, but understand the overlap and interconnection of these sort of three areas. Let me um, see if I can ground it again in a, a, something I heard the other day. I uh, heard about a school teacher who was finding it difficult in the staff room before school. Often the the, uh, conversations were really in a place that it was hard to interact with as a believer. Um, And she didn't know quite what to do, but she figured what she'd do is try and look at the newspaper on the way to work each day, try and find an article that she could speak about and somehow connect to her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so she started doing that and she found it was having some, some impact. Uh, sometime later, she was out on yard duty before school. Now, there are a few school teachers here. I understand yard duty is the uh, the thing you don't really want to do. Uh, you know, it's not a popular activity among school teachers. So this this teacher was out doing yard duty, and while they were out there, another teacher came down and joined up while she was doing this this yard duty service. But that person wasn't on duty, and she said, "What are you doing here? You know, you're not rusted on. What are you doing out here?" And the person said, a staff room is not worth being in if you're not there. Isn't that lovely to get that sort of feedback uh, about the fact that their, their language had so drawn someone to want to be with them and to recognise there was something there. That working out how we actually commend the gospel in that way, uh, the good works we do, how they can often lead people to ask questions uh, about who we are. But here's the thing. Should we do the work of the Lord at work? Do you understand the categories I'm talking about here? 
Should you evangelize in your boss's time? After all, for most of us, me excluded, Matt, uh, we're not being paid to do it. Uh, most of us aren't in that situation uh, where we're employed to do that activity. And here's the thing, for most of us, uh, our workplaces, if we're employed, will be the place where we spend a big chunk of life with colleagues, uh, much more than neighbours, friends, and for many of us, much more than we actually get to spend with family while we're awake. So it chews up a big part of time. It's critical we're faithful at work, not slack, support the others around us, uh, commend the Lord as we go about it. But should we speak the gospel in those situations? How do we do it? Can I say, I, I think in most work contexts that I have access to and been in, there is a level of social engagement that people have at work, whether it's in break times or just because it's normal to talk about stuff while you're doing something else at work. It just comes, you know, with the nature of things, whether it's at the water cooler, over lunch, uh, after work, whatever. But my observation is that you need to have this work of the Lord on your radar when you're at work Otherwise, you probably won't get to it. Um, I'm a late, late adopter of technology. Uh, I've only been operating with a, a, you know, a digital electronic diary for about the last 18 months. Revolutionised my world. You know? And uh, what I've discovered is that you can put in headings for your day, the you know, sort of banners that govern the whole day, and uh, I, as opposed to just hourly increments. I... I sort of feel like when it comes to being believers in the workplace, that's what we almost need to do. Um, so that when we're heading off to work, uh, we need to understand that we are doing the Lord's work at work. We're doing the work of the Lord at work. To have that as a category that just infuses everything we do. Friends, it is so important uh, that we have the right aspirations in life, and that we have clarity on what they are. I read this account of uh, Steve Jobs, the Apple guy, and his interactions with a guy called John Scully. It was the 1980s, and Jobs was trying to entice Scully, who was the president of Pepsi-Cola, to come and work with him at Apple. And uh, apparently he wasn't having much luck at all enticing him across. And eventually, uh, Jobs said to Scully, this. Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want a chance to change the world? And now, of course, um, uh, apples never change the world or actually a single person's life, to be quite honest. That's when you think about the nature of things. But your labour for the Lord at work, that is different. I heard an account of a guy who was being headhunted by a corporate recruiter. They were trying to entice him into a better paying and more prestigious job and, uh, you know, trying to push him into that space. But they weren't having much luck. So eventually this recruiter uh, pulled out a line that I suspect he used on a lot of people, which was, what's your purpose in life? Uh, to this guy, what's your purpose in life? Uh, to which this guy, a Christian guy, said, 
well, to get to heaven and take as many people with me as I possibly can. I thought, right answer. And the right mantra actually for every believer, it seems to me. Friends, our, our jobs, our work, uh, they do have a significant place in God's created order. They do. I'm not trying to undermine that. But here's the thing. The labour that we do with our hands, it actually won't endure. It is in vain. But what we're to keep remembering is that our labour for the Lord at work or in the home or socially or with neighbours, our labour for the Lord, it's not in vain. It's not. And we need to keep remembering that as we travel through life. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, you're a God who speaks to us. Uh, Father, we pray that you'll give us um, our clarity as we think about what does endure and what doesn't, uh, that you'll help us in each of our situations, given our gifts and locality, to work out how we honour you, both in the way we conduct ourselves at work, and we do that faithfully as we think about uh, representing you well in terms of character, uh, doing good works. And yet, Father, we pray that we won't be confused about what will endure, and we pray that you'll give us opportunities to keep uh, speaking the gospel and commending the gospel uh, to others, that they might have an opportunity to put their trust in you, that you'll help us to keep encouraging one another in our relationship with you, knowing that that relationship will endure for all eternity. Father, give us, give us clarity as we seek to honour you in your world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.